Hello, and welcome to the Girl I Slept in My Makeup podcast by three sisters who live in three different cities, are at three different life stages, and have three different perspectives. They are excited to learn and grow alongside of you. This is a space full of love and acceptance, no judgment, because let's face it, we all sleep in our makeup. Please welcome Lauren, Megan, and Kristen. Have you guys ever thought about starting your own podcast? Just so you know, we use Zencaster to do ours. It is an all-in-one web-based solution, which makes the process super quick and painless, and it really is easy. And if you know us, you know that we are obsessed with quality, and we feel like Zencaster is super easy. And even for our guests that aren't tech-savvy, there's nothing to download. They literally just click on a link, and we start recording. And if you go to Zencaster, dot com backslash pricing, which is Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com backslash pricing and use our code girl. I slept in my makeup one. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster professional. We want you to have the same experience that we have had for all of our podcasting and content needs. So it's time to share your story. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another week. Today, we have an amazing interview for you guys. Her name is Amy Hayes. She is the founder of Raising Amazing Kids. She has eight children, all grown, and nine grandchildren. She is passionate about equipping parents with effective tools to raise children who change the world. So we can't wait for you to listen and gain some great tools from her. We hope you enjoy as much as we did. Thank you. Hey, Lulu. Hey. <laughs> well, everybody, welcome. We are so excited today that we have a special guest. Welcome, Amy Hayes. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> We're so excited to introduce you to our listeners. For all of you that don't know, I met Amy through church, and she led an amazing parenting class that I did that I just gained so much wisdom from. And honestly, it reminded me of our mom so much, too. So I just had to bring Amy on to chat through just who you are, Amy, but also, you know, about, you know, some great parenting wisdom that you have and the courses that you teach. So anyways, I'd love to just get started by Amy, if you could just tell us, I know it's hard to tell your story in like a quick snippet, but <laughs> just tell us your story and kind of who you are. Yeah. Well, my story. Yeah. It's like, which theme do you want to pick? Because yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of themes in my story, but um, I think for the sake of this broadcast, so I have eight biological children from three different marriages. Um, I came from a big family and I never wanted a big family, <laughs> but <laughs> I, you know, I had three husbands and I had children with each of them. So I ended up with eight kids. And the blessing in that is that they all consider themselves one big family. They don't see themselves as half siblings, which is amazing. And um, so we don't even think in that dimension. But it, as you can imagine, raising eight children through three marriages in and of itself was very challenging. And there was a lot of upheaval a lot of changes. I mean, one divorce can throw a child into a tailspin, but three, I mean, it was just constant changes, constant upheaval, and and even additional challenges like, you know, custody battles and and um, evictions and bankruptcies and uh, an abusive relationship. And so there, it was an extremely rocky adulthood and for me, but somehow through all of that, my children 
turned out to be very stable adults. They're all grown now. My baby is 20. He oh. has mm -hmm. uh, special needs. He has Down syndrome. So I call him my forever child, uh, which mm -hmm. is interesting in light of my calling because I have this constant child <laughs> to remind me of what it's like to have small children because uh, mentally he's probably like, you know, in some ways it's, it's hard to say because in some ways he's very mature, but cognitively, he's probably like a four or five-year-old. <clears throat> so I always have that reminder of what it's like to interact with a, a small child. But anyway, so, you know, life was tough. And then it wasn't until I grew up in a religious home. So I was always very religious and mm -hmm. following the, the traditions I was raised in. But when I was 34, I had an encounter, you know, where I came into a relationship with the Lord and, um, it was life changing for me, you know, and then about nine years later into it, that's when the Lord revealed my calling and purpose to me, which was to work with parents and mentor parents. I, at the time I thought, oh my gosh, I was on the verge of a third divorce at that time. And yeah. I thought, who's going to listen to me? But mm -hmm. the Lord said, yeah, I said, I mean, my life is a mess. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. In fact, it seemed like my kids had a more a better handle on life than I did. And I said to the Lord, who's going to listen to me? And he said, but look at your kids. And, it, and at that point, you know, my older ones were starting to become young adults and, you know, going to college, having, you know, goals for their life and, you know, had the plan. They weren't aimless or drifters or, you know, like you would expect from kids who grew up in the, in the uh, environment that mine grew up in. Um, and so, so that's what kind of put me on this journey. I always say, I didn't choose this path. It chose me. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, when the Lord revealed my calling to me, I could look back over my life and see how he'd been preparing me all along. And so, you know, the Bible says that he's prepared works for us from the, before the foundations of the world. And and I could see that even the having the eight kids when I didn't want a big family was kind of like, no, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to have some practice here for what I, what I have for you. So, I mean, that's kind of my, my story in a nutshell is how I, I got to where I am now and, and doing what I'm doing. That's great. And Megan and I are actually studying the book of Ruth right now. And so as you're talking, I just am smiling because I feel like there's so many correlations, you know, just with how God talks about with Naomi and Ruth and Ruth's the other sister-in-law in the direction that they chose to walk. And it sounds like you listen, like your eyes were open to listening to God's plan. Whereas I think sometimes in life, especially when we're like, what, this can't be my call. This can't be for me, but it's so much easier to fall back on what's comfortable and familiar to us. And so I love hearing you say that even despite your kind of questioning and hesitation, you still moved forward. <laughs> so that's awesome. Well, it's been slow. I mean, that was almost 20 years ago. And um, okay. there hasn't been a lot of direction since then. I've kind of had to feel my way. I thought, well, and, and it was really that, that, that calling that caused me to look at my life and say, okay, now what did I do that caused my children to grow up to be so stable when they grew up in an environment that was extremely unstable. And, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's interesting because one of the things I remembered when, you know, I got the call, the call from the Lord 
it was a very profound experience. I'll never forget it. It was, it was so clear and, you know, unquestionably God speaking to me, but I looked back over my life and I could see when my oldest daughter was born, that something was downloaded into me and I, I didn't, you know, it was just a sense. And I just sensed that, uh, this, this human being that had just been birthed into the world that her entire life depended on how I raised her. And, and even though that sounds kind of obvious, it was just this, no, this is, it's really important. And, and from that moment on, I prioritized my children through everything, all the challenges I had. I did everything I could to uh, protect them from, you know, having their life disrupted. But it was interesting because I didn't really know what it was until I got the call. And I just thought every parent got that, when every mom got that when they had their oldest child. But it wasn't until the call came that I could look back and go, oh, because I just had this intuitive knowing of what my kids needed. And I kind of gave it to them naturally. But it wasn't until I got the call to do what I do that I sat down to think about what is it? What made the difference? And it was when I wrote my first book, which was the story of my life, that it, I, I discovered it. I could actually put it into words. This is what I gave my kids that gave them the ability to, for one thing, have stable marriages when they never experienced that in their life. They never saw it modeled in their home, but they grew up and they had stable marriages. And that was just a really big aha for me to realize that, you know, regardless of your circumstances, you can raise kids who go far beyond anything that you ever accomplished. I still feel like my kids are beyond me when it comes <laughs> to understanding and managing life. So, so what do you think it was? I know you mentioned you wrote a whole book on it. So obviously yeah. maybe you can't touch on everything, but what, what do you think that the secret was? The secret, actually, it's just one chapter in the book. And I'm glad you asked that because what I discovered is that my kids got the one thing that every child needs to succeed in life. And when I su say succeed, I mean in every area of their life, relationally, spiritually, personally, they know who they are and, you know, professionally or career-wise. So to just to be, um, you know, a mature, functioning, happy adult. And it was the one thing I didn't get in my childhood, which caused me to be so unstable. And that was parental approval. And as I studied, you know, I don't have any degrees or letters after my name, but as I read all the experts that do have the letters after their names and do have all the credentials to, to teach us things, I learned that <clears throat> kids come into this world with two questions and different uh, experts will say it different ways, but this is what made sense to me. Number one is who am I? They want to know, you know, that's the age old question. Who am I? And you know, we think, why am I here is a question that people ask. But what it really is, is do I have value? In other words, is who I am valuable to you? And so that value, knowing you have value does so much for a child because think about things that you value. Um, you're going to naturally guard and protect them. If you have a valuable family heirloom, you keep it in a safe place where the kids can't get to it and, and you know, destroy it. And, and, or you put something in a safe deposit box. But when a child knows his value, he will naturally protect that value and he won't allow anyone to treat him in a way that's less than the value he knows he has. And so the way we now learning to communicate value 
<clears throat> is another question, right? How do we do that? And that's one of the courses that I have is, it's called the one thing every child craves. And it's, it's teaching parents how to, for example, correct your child without devaluing him. Um, because a lot of the ways that we uh, discipline or train our children can be very devaluing your child needs, which is parental approval. It's, I call it the rocket fuel to parenting because it really is the foundation. I was far from a perfect parent, but that was kind of the one thing that I intuitively knew. My kids needed to know that they were good, that they had value, that they were, they were good enough. And so learning how to communicate that value is super important for parents, especially in like when you have to correct your children, uh, because a lot of the ways that we correct our children are devaluing, like we put them in timeout and we take away privileges or we spank them and all those things send the message of you are not good enough. Uh, so, so that parental approval is really what they crave. And the, and the reality is uh, kids will do, do what they, whatever they can to get that approval. The, the, they want to please their parents. A, a lot of times we feel like they don't, but they're just begging for that, uh, to know that they please you. And if they don't get that approval from you, they'll go looking for it in all the wrong places. And so this is the flip side of not having that value that, you know, seeing yourself as not having value, then you'll be gravitating towards those people and those activities that prove to you that you don't have value because you feel like you don't. And so, uh, you know, when a child knows their value, it will naturally protect them from, you know, all the behaviors we, we fear like drugs and, and sexual promiscuity and all those things, because those things are, are, are devalued. Those are lower valued activities. And, and, you know, you just don't want to do those things because you know that you're, you're more than that. You know, it's like knowing yeah. that you're the king, you're not going to act like a beggar. So it's, it's really, that's the key. That's the secret to successful parenting is being wow. able to communicate to your children the value that they inherently have, not because of what they do based on their behavior. And that's, that's where the flaws come in parenting is that we've parented based on behavior, not on identity. <clears throat> and so when we see the inherent value our children have just because they are made in God's image. They have a unique and special purpose that no one else can fulfill. Mm -hmm. And then we begin to see be past the behavior to who they really are. That's when we can, we can begin to see the value they have and to communicate that to them. But there are practical ways to learn how to do that in day-to-day -day life. Well, I was just about to ask, can you give us one little role play example of how we can communicate value without devaluing and what that sure. looks like? Sure, sure. So, uh, for example, you know, if you have toddlers, if a toddler wants something, they just grab it, right? And we always think that they're being selfish or whatever. I had a lot of kids, and so they were always, they always want the toy the other child has, right? Yes. And so they'll just grab it, and that creates this conflict, right? Well, typically, we look at the behavior, we punish the, or, or we reprimand the offender, right? Because mm -hmm. we're judging them based on their behavior, and we say, no, we don't grab. So we're telling them what you just did is unacceptable. Well, that communicates that what you desire and what you want is not good, which translates to you are not good. And so rather than critiquing and criticizing or condemning their behavior, we just correct it. And so what I would do when my kids were little and they would grab or they use their hands to, you know, hit, you know, stop doing that. Or I want that. So they hit, you know, I would just take their hands and I would say, 
hands are made for helping and people are made for loving. Or if they want something, let's ask for a turn. So rather than condemning the behavior you don't want, because the reality is children don't know how to get their, their needs and desires met in socially acceptable ways, they need to be trained. So we just train them. We say, oh, here's how, let's ask for a turn. Here's how you ask for a turn. And then it becomes this wonderful teaching moment where you teach the one child to ask and to be patient and the other child who has the toy to learn to, you know, manage that. And I always told my kids, you know, because that's a big one. I don't know for, for you guys, but that was always a big thing in our household, you know, wanting what the other person had. And so I always told them when they got gifts uh, for their birthday or Christmas or whatever, that if it's your possession or your toy or whatever it is, it's your job to share it. In other words, it's your job to govern it the way God would want you to. And, and that's really the basic lesson of being a human being, fulfilling our God-given mandate on earth, which is to rule and reign. And if you can't govern and rule your own property well, you're not going to be effective in a bigger picture, you know, kingdom of God um, perspective. So, so that's mm. kind of an example of just training them in the way they should go rather than condemning them for not knowing. And, and it's interesting because we all quote that scripture, train up a child in the way he should go. Mm-hmm. But in that script, and that passage doesn't say anything about the way he shouldn't go, but we spend an awful lot of time telling our kids the way they shouldn't go. And that sends a lot of devaluing messages. So just Gosh. telling them what you want rather than what you don't want is super helpful. Yeah, that's so relatable and true, especially I feel like when you're maybe outside of your home and there's other friends or people watching, it's, it's so easy to just snap at your kid and say, don't do that. We, we share whatever, instead of, um, like you're saying, wording it in a different way to where you're not devaluing the behavior, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Just leave out the first part and say, we remember we share Yes. Can I be selfish? And I have an 11 year old, whenever they start to get a little bit older, preteen, early teen years, can you think of one more example you could share with us? So again, we're talking about behavior, which is what most parenting focuses on. And when they get to be teen, preteen, you have to remember that all behavior begins in the heart. And and Megan can tell you that I teach a lot about the heart in my parenting courses because, you know, the scripture tells us in so many different ways that, you know, whatever's in our heart's going to come out. So when we ignore the heart and we just address the behavior, again, we're, we're shutting down the internal, the real person. And and that's a a form of devaluing them. It's like saying the real you, the true you, that that inner man isn't important when we just address behavior. So when you're teen or preteen, Uh, does something, they're old enough to know. Little kids are not old enough to know. Mm -hmm. But when they're old enough to know and they're doing things, and I may ask you for more details so I can be more specific to your question, but but it's it's a heart issue. And what they're doing, all misbehavior, intentional misbehavior, is a cry for help. Um, And I think you all know Dr. Sandy Gluckman. She says that a tantrum is the ultimate cry for help. And so it's not the behavior. And so what do we do? We address behavior and we don't realize that it is the heart. It's an emotion crying out to be heard. So when your daughter, who is, you said 11, does something that she knows isn't pleasing to you, is that what you're saying she's doing? Or? Yeah, I was just trying to think of uh, an example, at, you know, the preteen age where, and I'm try- and I can't really think of one right now, but just where maybe they're 
acting out or, or not wanting to do don't want to cooperate. their homework or mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, so that comes down to their emotions and that, and that they need their emotions. They need them honored and, and they need empathy. They need to, they need to be recognized that their emotional state is really the most important thing because mm-hmm. if you're happy and fulfilled, then once again, the behavior will follow. So it's a matter of addressing her heart. And I have another course called the heart connection, which is the key to influence that, uh, that I would recommend for you in regards to your 11 year old, because once you learn to relate to her at the heart level, the behavior issues will go away. She wants to know that you hear her and that she's important. And so hearing a person is hearing what's in their heart and we express our heart through emotions. And so if she doesn't feel validated or heard, um, then she's going to, again, do things that's going to get your attention. And it's the heart crying saying, I'm hurting in here. I need something. And, and you know, maybe we can have a, a conversation offline to get more specific about what it is, unless you want to do that now, um, <laughs> that sh- she may be needing. Right. No, yeah, no, that's good. I think just focusing, what I hear you saying is just focusing on uh, his heart and and then the behavior will kind of correct itself, right? Absolutely. Yes. Learning to identify and honor and empathize with your child's emotions is the fastest way to connect with their heart. And I teach a very simple three-step process on how to do that. And maybe Megan can share that with you because we went over that in the class she was in. Or, Or yeah, I do have a recorded course on that as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Amy, overall, what kind of drives you to do what you do every day? Yeah, it's a good question. Like I said, I I didn't choose this, it chose me, but gosh, it fit me hand in glove, you know, because I was made for it and I and I love doing what I do. But what really drives me, you know, I work with parents, but what really drives me is the kids. Because as I said, as a young parent, I mean, I had my oldest daughter when I was 19 years old. I was still a kid myself. So I knew what it felt like to be a kid. And I didn't have a great childhood. I did not have a supportive, emotionally supportive childhood. So I was very unstable. And that was evidenced on the outside then in my life because inside I was unstable. So my external life became very unstable. So I understand and then I had that that experience when my oldest daughter was born where I, I just got this intuitive knowing that, you know, how children, I kind of like would understand what was going through their mind and their heart when they were upset. And so I have a real heart for children because I see, I feel their pain. I would, I would be in public and I would see, you know, parents struggling with their kids and the, and the child is resisting and the parents trying to, you know, control them. And I'm thinking... He's trying to tell you he's afraid or he's trying to tell you he's tired or he's trying to tell you that person, you know, I would just know. And so, so it re- that's what really drives me is I want parents to understand their children because I see the beauty and potential in every child. And I know that every child comes into this world perfect and that they have an incredible potential that we have barely scratched the surface of. And just the little bit I did right with my kids, because most of what I teach, I didn't learn till they were grown. But I got that approval thing, you know, right. And it made so much difference for them. And they were able to go so much farther than I ever have in life in so many ways. Um, but that's really what drives me. And I do, you know, I do empathize with parents who are struggling. Uh, you know, when you have the right keys, it's, it's really effortless. It's just like a natural key. If you try to open a door with the wrong key, 
it's never going to work. But mm -hmm. as soon as you pick up the right key, it works immediately and it's effortless. That's really what drives me. And, you know, just seeing the kids nowadays, I, I don't know if you guys notice it, but, uh, and I, I'm not even, I don't even watch TV or I'm not that much into media and so forth, but just seeing kids, you know, in real life, as I go about my day, it seems like there's a lot of aimless kids who don't know their value, who don't know their worth and don't have any purpose in life. And, and that breaks my heart. So mm -hmm. that's really what drives me is just seeing the wasted lives, the wasted potential Mm -hmm. And the hurting kids and the parents that are struggling as well. Yeah. But sorry to put the parents at the bottom of the list. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's great. And honestly, I I like hearing you say that it's easy because that's not usually a descriptive word that is used around parenting, at least in my experience. So that's really comforting for me to hear you say that coming from an expert. And I just will second kind of what you shared with your own kids, but we were blessed enough to have parents who I think did a really great job yes. at this too. And uh, whether it was intentional or not, mm -hmm. but I think having our parents approval of simply acceptance of who we were and yes. all in all four being so different from one another was just something powerful. I think that as an adult, I think we can reflect back and be super appreciative of. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And hearing the interview with your mom, I could just hear her heart and Aww. she was an incredible mom. So, yeah. um, well, I want to clarify, I said it was easy. It's simple, <laughs> but it's not always easy. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, so it's not complicated. You don't need a lot of uh, education, but it's, it can be difficult because it's counterintuitive mm -hmm. and it's different than what we've, uh, used to been doing, like Megan said, don't, yeah. don't do that. I mean, that's such a natural response. It's our human nature, just mm -hmm. reacting to what we see rather than a conscious, mindful response and intentional response. It's so easy to default. I feel like I, even though I took your course, I have to literally like, it takes everything in me to like recognize how I'm reacting, stop talking for a second and think mm -hmm. through, okay, how should yes. I actually be communicating right now? Yes. Because yes. it's just it's so natural to be like, what are you doing? Don't, don't do that. Like yes. that is totally my natural reaction. <laughs> um, unfortunately. So yeah, I literally have to like it. It's a brain. You have to switch your brain, but I imagine once you practice it more and more, it becomes easier. Well, yeah. let me tell you, I've been doing this for how many, I've been parenting for 44 years but just teaching this stuff I teach for five or six years now, and it still takes a conscious effort. And that's because we're so ingrained in, you know, and I'm not going to get into to this too deep, but the way we react is the way the world reacts. It's the way everything we experience in life is on this earth. If you do bad, you get called out, you get punished, you get a fine, you get a bad grade, you get something. That's the way the world operates. But the kingdom of God doesn't. The kingdom of God always operates. If you think about it, God starts with approval. And we see that in the, in the scriptures when Jesus was baptized and he hadn't done one miracle, taught one sermon, healed one sick person. And yet the father said, you know, they heard the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's like, yep, you're good enough. You don't have to do anything. You please me. And so we have, it, it's just very, the world doesn't operate that way. <laughs> the world is the opposite. And so our whole entire life has trained us to parent by pointing out where our kids fall short because that's the way the world is. Yeah. So, 
Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not into, it's very counterintuitive. Well, and one of the things I remember from your course is that kind of helped me understand like the wording. Cause I don't think I even realized I was doing that, mm-hmm. but I think you had this part where it was like words of destruction, words of life. Okay. And I, I'd love to read those because it just does speak how we, how God thinks of us and like almost like he parents us Absolutely. in a way is something you taught me. I don't know. The words of life are just so powerful. Like believe the best, address the true spiritual identity in Christ, yes. see the finished work, speak yes. in faith, create outcomes, live yes. like life giving words, like yes. be more proactive instead Absolutely. of criticizing, having like a negative reaction, condemning, Mm -hmm. um, just noticing their deficiencies and shortcomings, point out their flaws, define what's wrong. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just so like you said, it's what we do. We do it to ourselves, you know? So I think something I'm still working on too is like, okay, I need to speak those words of life even over myself before Mm -hmm. I can even like speak them over kids. And like, I do correct myself a lot. Yes. to every moment of the day. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's so true. Yeah. Um, that when you speak to, it, it's a matter of believing before you see. So the world operates, seeing is believing. So I'll mm-hmm. believe that you're a good child when I see it. Yeah. But in the kingdom of God, it's it's the other way around. And, it, and the scripture tells us is that believing creates what we want to see. So it says by faith, you know, we create what we want to see. It's our faith is the substance of the things we hope for. And so by faith, we believe the true identity of our children and we speak that into existence. And, and that's really all it is. And if you do that, when your child's young, even an infant, when you, if you start day one, start telling them who they really are, they'll Mm -hmm. live from that all the days of their life. And you just, it makes it so much easier uh, for the parents in the, in the long run and, and in the short run. Yeah, this is all coming so full circle because when you said parenting is simple, not always easy, my brain went to, gosh, well, isn't that the truth with God too? Yeah. And then Megan, when you were reading that list, which is so good, I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is applicable, not just with our children, but for ourselves and with God and with all of our relationships, our spouse, our spouse, our friends, everything. So I love that. Amy, do you, with having experience. I'm jealous, not jealous, but I have a only child. So, you know, he's, he's my first rodeo and my last rodeo. So I, I kind of only get one shot, but, um, but having had eight shots, do you kind of have a real life example that you'd be willing to share with us and our listeners of you kind of putting that into practice, what you were just speaking of as far as believing before seeing. Okay. Gosh. Okay. Well, the way the Lord taught me this in real time with my youngest son, gosh, I have some, a couple of very profound examples. Um, I think I'll share the one about when my son was an infant, because that demonstrates so many powerful concepts that parents are, are mostly unaware of. And if we understand these things, once again, it'll make our lives so much easier. But, but so my youngest son, he was born with down syndrome. We didn't know until he was born. And um, if you know anything about uh, special needs, they don't have that drive to survive. It's almost, you know, like natural selection. Like I'm just going to lay here and die because I'm, you know, it's it's more a morbid way to think about it. But but they mm-hmm. don't have that internal drive to thrive. And so he would sleep 
for hours on end as a newborn. He was, um, he was, uh, uh, he would sleep eight, 10, 12 hours. And I thought it was great, but he was a big baby as well. And, and I had a midwife and she said, you're going to have to wake him up and feed him more often because what happened was, uh, it was really a blessing in disguise, but there was a misway. Um, so when they weighed him at one point, it was a different scale. It was actually different and went to a doctor because he had down. So I thought, well, I better go to a pediatrician. So his scale was different than my midwife's scale. And when they weighed him, it looked like he wasn't gaining weight. And so um, they told me, you're going to have to wake him up every two hours and feed him. And I was like, oh, dear God. Because <laughs> even though I had eight children, I always had to get my sleep. I'm one of those people. If I don't get my sleep, even as a teenager, I was this way. I could not function and I would just become really ugly. <laughs> yeah. So I always found a way to get my sleep. You know, I was great. I was a power napper. I could do that. And, and that saved me, you know, through raising all these kids. So here I am trying to wake myself up in the middle of the night, let alone waking up this, you know, baby who was just out of it. He was sacked out, sound asleep. He was not going to be woke up. I mean, that's just the dream baby, right? And so I'm trying to wake him up and get him to nurse. And so uh, two nights into this, I am just a frazzled mess. I'm not getting anywhere. You know, I try to wake him up and then, you know, I'm breastfeeding and and I wasn't going to revert to the bottle. I really wanted to breastfeed. I felt like he needed it more than anyone because of his special needs. And um, you can't make a baby latch on. They got to do that, right? And so after two nights, I was so frazzled. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I just, I kind of just looked up to heaven. I said, God, I don't know what to do. And immediately I heard a voice say in my spirit, tell him he's a good eater. And I thought, what? Tell him he's a good eater? And, you know, I I don't know. I was kind of delirious from lack of sleep. And I thought, okay. So I start telling them, Jonathan, you're a good eater. And the first few times I said it, it sounded more like a question than even a comment or a, <laughs> you know, declaration. Far from that, because I, you know, there was no evidence. My natural mind was saying, "You are telling a lie." <laughs> but I just started telling him that, and little by, and every time he made the least little, you know, suckling motion or began to eat, I would just it encouraged me, and I would say, "Oh, you're such a good eater." And I am telling you that within 48 hours, that child was nursing like a champ and he never looked back. And then as he began to grow and go to school, every one of his teachers, and he had a lot of different ones um, every every year, he had a different teacher. Uh, well, I mean, that sounds normal for the general population, but in special ed, that's not typically the way okay. it is. But he had a new teacher every year and he they would always make the same comment because I would pack his lunches and they would say, he's such a good eater. I wish all the other kids ate as healthy as Jonathan. (laughs) And it was interesting to me that they used the exact same words. They didn't say he eats so well or he's healthy eater. They said, he's such a good eater, which are this exact words I used. And if you understand the science behind this, we are literally programming our children to be who they are. And other people even pick up on that. And so when they're small like that, that's what we need to be doing is, is telling them who they really are and creating that identity because you're literally writing it in their subconscious and it will play out for the rest of their life. And that was a profound example. And then a few years, a couple years later, I taught him to be obedient the same way. It was in the middle of an interaction where I was mad He was, you know, on the other side of the room and the same thing. The Holy Spirit said to me, tell him he's obedient. And I thought, what? 
And I remembered back to when he was an infant, I told him he was a good eater. You'd think I would have learned from that and I would have kept doing it, but I guess I'm a little slow. <laughs> he, had to, he had to teach me again. And, and, I, and I, it was amazing. Within five minutes, I trained him to be obedient because I told him he was obedient. Mm-hmm. And it was profound. It, it, and it stuck for life to this day. Yeah, that's such a great reminder and powerful. I kind of got chills. And I know, Megan, I think you had shared with me after you took her course that during certain ages that our brain is still in the mode where we literally believe everything that we're told. And I guess hence why up until a certain age, most kids believe in things like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. And I just think that is so, so powerful. And I remember mom, I'm like, are you mom? Because she would do the... (laughs) She would, she would tell us the same thing. And she said, I think she kind of laughed and was like, it was kind of manipulative of me, but (laughs) I would just speak if I didn't think that, you know, whatever I wanted y'all to do, I would just say, oh, you are set. You're so good at picking up your stuff. And then all of a sudden you're picking up your stuff. It's amazing. (laughs) She, uh, this woman, your mom was amazing. I just love to hear the stories because she had the same revelation. Yeah. And I think for her parenting, it was just, she was uh, always one to, she was very intuitive and her passion was being a mom. And so she was very passionate about it and mindful, but I think also more than listening to kind of the outside world and society of the should, you know, this is how we should parent, or this is what we should do. She really just kind of listened more to God in her heart and, yes. and was really intuitive to eat what each child needed. And that went mm-hmm. outside of just her own four kids too. You know, she, I feel like treated everyone that way. So we did, she was yeah. a great, a great example because it's hard. It's freaking hard. Yes, <laughs> yes. it is. It's like I said, it's counterintuitive to do those things, but yeah. it's actually kind of fun because you literally are creating what you want. And the younger the child is, the easier it is because they do believe You know, it isn't up until about age eight that a child knows the difference between fact and fiction. And like you said, that's about the age where they figure out or they learn and they hear, oh, Santa Claus is a myth, you know. So, but up until that age, they're highly suggestible and they will, they'll accept pretty much anything you tell them about themselves and the world and anything else. Yeah. Well, and just for those that kind of felt like me when Megan shared that with me, having my son who's already 11 and past that age, I was kind of like, oh, shoot, is it too late? And Megan said, no, she said it's not too late. So I have since become mindful. So thank you for teaching me, even though I didn't take your class, but through Megan. (laughs) Um, And so I've been way more mindful about that with my son, Kai. And so Uh, Megan didn't really explain the science behind it, but why is it not too late? (laughs) Okay. Well, um, so what you're doing is you're creating his uh, spiritual identity. And I actually did this with one of my adult children. She had some issues with me. And like I said, I wasn't a perfect parent and I'm not perfect now. It was just getting worse and worse. And so what I did was I just began speaking over her, even though she's married and lives in another house in another town just speaking to her spirit and telling her who she really was. And so I guess that's the science behind it is that in the spiritual realm, there's no time or distance. And so you can speak uh, and you can do this with your 11 year old son. Just when you're alone by yourself, you just begin speaking out an identity over him. And there's quantum physics that uh, proves this. Okay. So here's, here's a good one. They did an experiment 
with DNA. So your children have your DNA, right? And they took the DNA from a person, they put it in a little vial and they put it across the room. And then I don't know how they monitor DNA and they monitor the, I know they can monitor a person, but I don't know how they monitored all this, but whatever the person experienced, the DNA also experienced that was across the room. So they began moving this DNA further and further apart till it was in another city, 75 miles away. And whatever you, ex- the person experienced, the DNA would experience. So, so that's really wow. comforting. Yeah. So, so this is, this brings up another point that, um, the more you work on yourself, it actually benefits your children as well. And it's powerful to understand that. But uh, in, the, in the practical day-to-day, yeah, you, 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 can, you are creating his image of himself. You think about even a 15 or 16-year-old who's never been validated. If you start validating them, they're going to light up because it's what they've always been craving. So just from a psychological, emotional standpoint, you know, not even quantum physics, you know, People are hungering for that, craving that. Even mm. adults who never got their parents' approval, they're still looking for that. Yeah, don't be discouraged. And, and kids are very malleable, even 11-year-olds. Uh, so, so they haven't reached puberty where their brain is hardened. Um, mm. once, the, once, the, uh, brain, w- once they reach puberty, what happens is chemicals are released in the brain that pretty much solidify all their thoughts and ideas and everything about themselves and the world and all that. So you still, you still have a little bit of time to... Uh, to start changing the patterns there and to give him a new, a new view of himself. Yeah. And this just came to me too, for any listeners that as an adult, you might be thinking, gosh, I didn't get that, you know, but I just kind of got this little whisper from God whispering. You always, you know, we always have his approval and we don't have to earn that or do anything for that. We just come as we are and, Absolutely. and he, he's our ultimate approval. And then we get to pass that on to our offspring, which is so cool. Um, well, gosh, this is all such good stuff. And I do want to get to the resources that you have to help parents. But first, is there anything that you want to add to just what the core is that you want to tell parents out there? Yeah, I think we've probably covered that is just to, to get the focus off of behavior and onto identity and to begin to create in your child a vision of himself that lines up with what God says about him. Because how can we disapprove of our children when Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, that if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must become like a little child. And so he sees them as fit for heaven and so perfect and innocent. And yet we tend to see them through our natural human understanding. And we see them as, <laughs> you know, not fit and, and misbehaved and all of that. But focusing on the approval and, and the identity rather than um, behavior. And, and I really don't hear that a lot in the, from the parenting experts. There are a couple that I've heard that touch on it, but that's, Mm -hmm. that's the core message that I want parents to get is that it's not about behavior. It's about identity and it's super easy to create behaviors you want anyway. Yeah. That is so awesome. I love that in her class too, like you were kind of started a lot of our sessions with like, there's no condemnation or shame if you haven't done any of this you know like I really appreciated that because I'm somebody that beats myself up if I don't do things correctly (laughs) so (laughs) I was like really appreciated like okay there's always a new moment that I get to restart in (laughs) absolutely well in something that I heard recently on actually another podcast but it was a, a foreigner who's lived in America forever but she was just talking about 
specifically in regards to parenting, how Americans have, and I suppose all cultures, but Americans do things a certain way that just Americans do because we think that we should do them and just kind of opening our eyes to actually, it doesn't to get rid of all the shoulds maybe and, and be more in tune with our intuition and, and God and that, um, yeah, that just kind of was eye opening for me to be like, yeah, we don't, I think it's so easy to get sucked into society and just generational stuff too. So anyways, right. Well, so just to recap really quick in the beginning, the two questions that you said children usually come into the world having is who am I and do I have value? Is that right? Yes. Okay. I loved that. So I just wanted to recap that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Well, if you would, or share anything else that we haven't covered on, and then also, um, tell our listeners where they can find your information and what classes and books and all the things. Okay. Well, I could talk all day for a week about parenting. So I think we've shared enough today to give parents an understanding of where I'm coming from. Really, it's just about focusing on the heart. There's two things about the heart. You need to program the heart, which is what we do when we tell our children who they really are. And you also need to listen to the heart, which is what I mentioned to you about your child's, you know, they need to be heard. Their emotions need to be um, validated and empathized with. And so those are the two main things. It's all about the heart. It's not about behavior. So really, that's the focus of everything that I teach. And parents can access my courses. Um, My website is RaisingAmazingKids.com, RaisingAmazingKids.com. And if you go under courses and products there, there'll be a link to all my courses, which are hosted on another platform. Uh, Those are individual courses. Um, I'm also uh, working on a group curriculum, which will be ready soon this spring. And really, that's that's what I... uh, Um, the direction I want to go. Because as you know, Megan, it's very difficult to uh, learn these things and then implement them on your own. When, like you said, everybody around you doesn't know what you're doing. They think you you should do it their way, the old way, you know, the traditional way, which is driving them crazy too. Um, So I want to focus on groups. I do have a private Facebook group for those who have taken my courses where I do bi-weekly live coaching in there. So, and that's a place where individuals who have taken the courses, they can come in there, they can ask their questions, they can get support, they can link arms with other parents who are on the same journey, you know, trying to make this new way of parenting second nature. But, you know, that creates that support environment. Ultimately, you know, I I want to be able to provide a curriculum for groups like Bible study groups, church groups, you know, whatever, moms groups. I am a MOPS certified speaker. So if you know any MOPS groups, I'm available to speak in MOPS groups, you know, any kind of group to where you and all your friends or you and all your, you know, church can go through the curriculum and then you're like all on the same page. And then you have that live community where you're all helping each other. So those are the two things I have, the individual courses. And then the group curriculum is not listed on the website yet. So if you're, if anyone's interested in that, they can just contact me through the website on a contact form and let me know they're interested in that. And then I'll get back with them as soon as that is live. It should be ready in a couple of months. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, and I almost forgot. I also started a podcast. I apologize. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it is, so it's graceful parenting. And the focus of this podcast is really more for church leaders and pastors so they can understand what I'm teaching because, you know, the church has, has not really understood parenting and really teach kind of a detrimental, kind of a domineering, authoritarian, controlling um, parenting 
um, mentality. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I go deeper into kind of the theology and the background and the scriptural understanding that the Lord has given me about what I teach in my parenting courses. So the Graceful Parenting Podcast is, I mean, anyone's welcome to listen to it. It's going to go deeper into um, uh, kind of the concepts, the scriptural, the biblical concepts that, uh, and scientific concepts that um, are the basis for what I teach. Oh, wow. That's super yeah. cool. Yeah. Love that. Awesome. Well, uh, we just, this was a great conversation. I can't wait to, I took notes, but I think I'm going to listen back to and take more notes. <laughs> and as Megan said in the beginning, we usually close out in prayer and which we usually okay. do, but we would love to have the sure. honor to have you pray us out if you're absolutely okay, with that. okay well heavenly father thank you so much for megan and lauren and hosting this time together and giving me an opportunity to share my heart to share your heart for uh parenting and i just pray for every mom or dad that will listen to this uh podcast that will that will be that their heart will be moved that they will be inspired and that they will begin to understand their role as a parent is to model your heart really to their children so that their children know that they're loved and accepted and approved of by you and that they have a unique and awesome destiny that you put them here to fulfill. And so I just pray blessings on everyone who listens to this, that uh, God will inspire you and give you the, the courage and the tools you need to raise your own just amazing world changers. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so Thank much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. This has been a yes, blast. Of course. Thank you, listeners. We love everyone. Have a great couple of weeks. Awesome. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another week of Girl I Slept in My Makeup. If you like us, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to learn more about us or get in touch with us, go to our website, girlisleptinmymakeup.com where you'll also find links to our Instagram and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it and yeah, make it a great week. God bless.